0: Chapter the Second of A Modern Utopia, Sections 4 through 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christopher Taylor. A Modern Utopia by H. G. Wells. Chapter the Second. Concerning Freedoms. Section 4. Were this a story, I should tell at length how much we were helped by the good fortune of picking up a Utopian coin of gold, how at last we had ventured into the Utopian inn and found it all marvellously easy. You see us the shyest and most watchful of guests, but of the food they put before us and the furnishings of the house and all our entertainment, it will be better to speak later. We are in a migratory world, we know, one greatly accustomed to foreigners, our mountain clothes are not strange enough to attract acute attention though ill-made and shabby no doubt by utopian standards we are dealt with as we might best wish to be dealt with that is to say as rather untidy inconspicuous men we look about us and watch for hints and examples and indeed get through with the thing and after a queer yet not unpleasant dinner in which we remark no meat figures we go out of the house for a breath of air and for quiet counsel with one another and there it is we discover those strange constellations overhead it comes to us then clear and full that our imagination has realized itself we dismiss quite finally a rip van winkle fancy we have entertained all the unfamiliarities of our descent from the mountain pass gather together into one fullness of conviction and we know we know we are in utopia we wander under the trees by the main road watching the dim passers-by as though they were the phantoms of a dream, we say little to one another. We turn aside into a little pathway and come to a bridge over the turbulent rees, hurrying down towards the Devil's Bridge in the gorge below. Far away over the Furka Ridge, a pallid glow preludes the rising of the moon. Two lovers pass us whispering, and we follow them with our eyes. This utopia certainly preserved the fundamental freedom to love. And then a sweet-voiced bell from somewhere high up towards Oberalp chimes two-and-twenty times. I break the silence. That might mean ten o'clock, I say. My companion leans upon the bridge and looks down into the dim river below. I become aware of the keen edge of the moon like a needle of incandescent silver creeping over the crest, and suddenly the river is alive with flashes. He speaks and astonishes me with the hidden course his thoughts have taken. We, too, were boy-and-girl lovers like that, he says. And jerks ahead at the receding utopians i loved her first and i do not think i have ever thought of loving any one but her it is a curiously human thing and upon my honour not one i had designed that when at last i stand in the twilight in the midst of a utopian township when my whole being should be taken up with speculative wonder this man should be standing by my side and lugging my attention persistently towards himself towards his limited futile self this thing perpetually happens to me this intrusion of something small and irrelevant and alive upon my great impressions the time i first saw the matterhorn that queen among the alpine summits i was distracted beyond appreciation by the tale of a man who could not eat sardines always sardines did this with him and that and my first wanderings along the brown streets of pompey an experience i had anticipated with a strange intensity was shot with the most stupidly intelligent discourse on vehicular tariffs in the chief capitals of europe that it is possible to imagine and now this man on my first night in utopia talks and talks and talks of his poor little love affair it shapes itself as the most trite and feeble of tragedies one of those stories of effortless submission to chance and custom in which mr hardy or george gissing might have found a theme i do but half listen at first watching the black figures in the moonlit roadway pacing to and fro yet i cannot trace how he conveys the subtle conviction to my mind the woman he loves is beautiful they were boy and girl together and afterward they met again as fellow-students in a world of comfortable discretions he seems to have taken the decorums of life with a confiding good faith to have been shy and innocent in a suppressed sort of way and of a mental type not made for worldly successes but he must have dreamt about her and loved her well enough how she felt for him i could never gather it seemed to be all of that fleshless friendliness into which we train our girls then abruptly happened stresses the man who became her husband appeared with a very evident passion he was a year or so older than either of them and he had the habit and quality of achieving his ends he was already successful and with a promise of wealth and i at least perceived from my botanist phrasing that his desire was for her beauty. As my botanist talked I seemed to see the whole little drama rather clearer than his words gave it me. The actors all absurdly in Hampstead middle-class raiment, meetings of a Sunday after church, the men in silk hats, frock coats and tightly rolled umbrellas, rare excursions into evening dress, the decorously vulgar fiction read in their homes its ambling sentimentalities of thought the amiably worldly mothers the respectable fathers the aunts the people his people and her people the piano music and the song and in this setting our friend quite clever at botany and going in for it as a profession and the girl gratuitously beautiful so i figured the arranged and orderly environment into which this claw of an elemental force had thrust itself to grip the stranger who had come in got what he wanted. The girl considered that she thought she had never loved the botanist, had had only friendship for him. Though little she knew of the meaning of those fine words, they parted a little incoherently and in tears, and it had not occurred to the young man to imagine she was not going off to some conventional life in some other of the endless frognals he imagined as the cellular tissue of the world. But she wasn't. He had kept her photograph and her memory sweet and if ever he strayed from the severest constancy it seemed only in the end to strengthen with the stuff of experience to enhance by comparative disappointment his imagination of what she might have meant to him then eight years afterward they met again by the time he gets to this part of his story we have at my initiative left the bridge and are walking towards the utopian guest-house the utopian guest-house his voice rises and falls and sometimes he holds my arm my attention comes and goes good night two sweet-voiced utopians cry to us in their universal tongue and i answer them good night you see he persists i saw her only a week ago it was in lucerne while i was waiting for you to come on from england i talked to her three or four times altogether and her face the change in her i can't get it out of my head night or day the miserable waste of her before us through the tall pine stems shine the lights of our utopian inn. He talks vaguely of ill usage. The husband is vain, boastful, dishonest to the very confines of the law, and a drunkard. There are scenes and in insults. She told you. Not much, but someone else did. He brings other women almost into her presence to spite her. And it's going on, I interrupt. Yes, now. Need it go on? What do you mean? lady in trouble i say Night at hand why not stop this dismal grizzling and carry her off you figure the heroic sweep of the arm that belongs to the voice i positively forget for the moment that we are in utopia at all you mean take her away from him what's all this emotion of yours worth if it isn't equal to that positively he seems aghast at me do you mean elope with her it seems a most suitable case for a space he is silent, and we go on through the trees. A Utopian tramcar passes and I see his face, poor bitted wretch, looking pinched and scared in its trailing glow of light. That's all very well in a novel, he says. But how could I go back to my laboratory, mix classes with young ladies, you know, after a thing like that? How could we live and where could we live? We might have a house in London, but who would call upon us? Besides, you don't know her. She is not the sort of woman. Don't think I'm timid or conventional. Don't think I don't feel. Feel? You don't know what it is to feel in a case of this sort. He halts and then flies out viciously. <sighs> there are times when I could strangle him with my hands. Which is nonsense. He flings out his lean, botanizing hands in an impotent gesture. My dear man, I say and Say no more. For a moment... I forget we are in utopia altogether section five let us come back to utopia we were speaking of travel besides roadways and railways and tramways for those who go to and fro in the earth the modern utopians will have very many other ways of travelling there will be rivers for example with a vast variety of boats canals with diverse sorts of haulage there will be lakes and lagoons and when one comes at last to the borders of the land the pleasure craft will be there coming and going and the swift great passenger vessels very big and steady doing thirty knots an hour or more will trace long wakes as they go dwindling out athwart the restless vastness of the sea they will be just beginning to fly in utopia we owe much to m Santos dumont the world is immeasurably more disposed to believe this wonder is coming and coming nearly than it was five years ago but unless we are to suppose Utopian scientific knowledge far in advance of ours, and though that supposition was not proscribed in our initial undertaking, it would be inconvenient for us and not quite in the vein of the rest of our premises, they, too, will only be in the same experimental stage as ourselves. In Utopia, however, they will conduct research by the Army Corps while we conduct it. We don't conduct it. We let it happen. Fools make the researches and wise men exploit them. That is our earthly way of dealing with the question, and we thank heaven for an assumed abundance of financially impotent and sufficiently ingenious fools. In Utopia, a great multitude of selected men, chosen volunteers, will be collaborating upon this new step in man's struggle with the elements. Bacon's visionary House of Solomon footnote in the New Atlantis will be a thing realized, and it will be humming with this business every university in the world will be urgently working for priority in this aspect of the problem or that reports of experiments as full and as prompt as the telegraphic reports of cricket in our more sportive atmosphere will go about the world all this will be passing as it were behind the act drop of our first experience behind this first picture of the urbanized urserine valley the literature of the subject will be growing and developing with the easy swiftness of an eagle swoop as we come down the hillside unseen in that twilight unthought of by us until this moment a thousand men at a thousand glowing desks a busy specialist press will be perpetually sifting criticising condensing and clearing the ground for further speculation those who are concerned with the problems of public locomotion will be following these aeronautic investigations with a keen and enterprising interest and so will the psychologist and the sociologist that utopian research will i say go like an eagle's swoop in comparison with the blind man's fumbling of our terrestrial way. Even before our own brief utopian journey is out, we may get a glimpse of the swift ripening of all this activity that will be in progress at our coming. Tomorrow, perhaps, or in a day or so, some silent distant thing will come gliding into view over the mountains, will turn and soar and pass again beyond our astonished sight. Section 6 but my friend in his great trouble turned my mind from these questions of locomotion and the freedoms that cluster about them in spite of myself i find myself framing his case he is a lover the most conventional of anglican lovers with a heart that has had its training i should think, in the clean but limited schoolroom of mrs henry wood in utopia i think they will fly with stronger opinions it will not be in the superficialities of life merely that movement will be wide and free they will mount higher and swoop more steeply than he in his cage can believe what will their range be their prohibitions what jars to our preconceptions will he and i receive here my mind flows with the free thin flow that it has at the end of an eventful day and as we walk along in silence towards our inn i rove from issue to issue i find myself ranging amidst the fundamental things of the individual life and all the perplexity of desires and passions i turn my questionings to the most difficult of all sets of compromises those mitigations of spontaneous freedom that constitute the marriage laws the mystery of balancing justice against the good of the future amidst these violent and elusive passions where falls the balance of freedoms here i pass for a time from utopianizing altogether to ask the question that after all schopenhauer failed completely to answer why sometimes in the case of hurtful, pointless, and destructive things we want so vehemently I come back from this unavailing glance into the deeps, to the general question of freedoms in this new relation. I find myself far adrift from the case of the Frognal Botanist, and asking how far a modern utopia will deal with personal morals. As Plato demonstrated long ago, the principles of the relation of state control to personal morals may be best discussed in the case of intoxication the most isolated and least complicated of all this group of problems but plato's treatment of this issue as a question of who may or may not have the use of wine though suitable enough in considering a small state in which everybody was the effectual inspector of everybody is entirely beside the mark under modern conditions in which we are to have an extraordinarily higher standard of individual privacy and an amplitude and quantity of migration inconceivable to the academic imagination we may accept his principle and put this particular freedom of the use of wine among the distinctive privileges of maturity and still find all that a modern would think of as the drink question untouched that question in utopia will differ perhaps in the proportion of its factors but in no other respect from what it is upon earth the same desirable ends will be sought the maintenance of public order and decency the reduction of inducements to form this bad and wasteful habit to their lowest possible minimum and the complete protection of the immature but the modern utopians having systemized their sociology will have given some attention to the psychology of minor officials a matter altogether too much neglected by the social reformer on earth they will not put into the hands of a common policeman powers direct and indirect that would be dangerous to the public in the hands of a judge and they will have avoided the immeasurable error of making their control of the drink traffic a source of public revenue privacies they will not invade but they will certainly restrict the public consumption of intoxicants to specified licensed places and the sale of them to unmistakable adults and they will make the temptation of the young a grave offence in so migratory a population as the modern utopian the licensing of inns and bars would be under the same control as the railways and high roads Ends exist for the stranger and not for the locality, and we shall meet with nothing there to correspond with our terrestrial absurdity of local option. The Utopians will certainly control this trade, and as certainly punish personal excesses. Public drunkenness, as distinguished from the mere elation that follows a generous but controlled use of wine, will be an offence against public decency, and will be dealt with in some very drastic manner. It will, of course, be an aggravation of, and not an excuse for crime. But I doubt whether the State will go beyond that. Whether an adult shall use wine or beer or spirits or not seems to me entirely a matter for his doctor and his own private conscience. I doubt if we explorers shall meet any drunken men, and I doubt not we shall meet many who have never availed themselves to their adult freedom in this respect. The conditions of physical happiness will be better understood in Utopia. It will be worthwhile to be well there and the intelligent citizen will watch himself closely. Half and more of the drunkenness of earth is an attempt to lighten dull days and hopelessly sordid and disagreeable lives. And in Utopia they do not suffer these things. Assuredly, Utopia will be temperate, not only drinking, but eating with the soundest discretion. Yet I do not think wine and good ale will be altogether wanting there, nor good mellow whisky, nor, upon occasion, the engaging various liqueur, I do not think so. My botanist, who abstains altogether, is of another opinion. We differ here and leave the question to the earnest reader. I have the utmost respect for all teetotalers, prohibitionists, and haters, and persecutors of innkeepers. Their energy of reform awakens responsive notes in me, and to their species I look for a large part of the urgent repair of our earth. Yet for all that, there is Burgundy, for example a bottle of soft and kindly burgundy taken to make a sunshine on one's lunch when four strenuous hours of toil have left one on the further side of appetite or ale a foaming tankard of ale ten miles of sturdy trampling in the sleet and slush as a prelude and then good bread and good butter and ripe hollow stilton and celery and ale ale with a certain quantitative freedom or again where is the sin in a glass of tawny port three or four times, or it may be five, a year, when the walnuts come round in their season? If you drink no port, then what are walnuts for? Such things I hold for the reward of vast intervals of abstinence. They justify your wide, immaculate margin, which is else a mere unmeaning blankness on the page of palate God has given you. I write of these things as a fleshly man, confessedly and knowingly fleshly and more than usually aware of my liability to err i know myself for a gross creature more given to sedentary world mending than to brisk activities and not one tenth as active as the dullest newspaper boy in london yet still i have my uses uses that vanish in monotony and still i must ask why should we bury the talent of these bright sensations altogether under no circumstances can i think of my utopians maintaining their fine order of life on ginger ale and lemonade and the ale that is copses those terrible temperance drinks solutions of qualified sugar mixed with vast volumes of gas as for example soda seltzer lemonade and fire extinguishers, hand grenades minerals they call such stuff in england Fill a man with wind and self-righteousness indeed they do coffee destroys brain and kidney a fact now universally recognized and advertised throughout america and tea except for a kind of green tea best used with discretion in punch tans the entrails and turns honest stomachs into leather bags rather would i be Footnote: see the nature of man by professor eli metchnikoff at once and have a clean good stomach of german silver no if we are to have no ale in utopia give me the one good clean temperance drink that is worthy to set beside wine and that is simple water best it is when not quite pure and with a trace of organic matter for then it tastes and sparkles my botanist would still argue thank heaven this is my book and that the ultimate decision rests with me it is open to him to write his own utopia and arrange that everybody shall do nothing except by the consent of the savants of the republic either in his eating drinking dressing or lodging even as cabot proposed it is open to him to try a news from nowhere utopia with the wine left out i have my short way with him here quite effectually i turn in the entrance of our inn to the civil but by no means obsequious landlord and with a careful ambiguity of manner for the thing may be considered an outrage and i try to make it possible the idea is a jest put my test demand you see my dear teetotaler he sets before me tray and glass and, here follows the necessary experiment with a deep sigh. Yes, a bottle of quite excellent light beer. So there are also cakes and ale in Utopia. Let us in this saner and more beautiful world drink perdition to all earthly excesses. Let us drink more particularly to the coming of the day when men beyond there will learn to distinguish between qualitative and quantitative questions, to temper good intentions with good intelligence and righteousness with wisdom one of the darkest evils of our world is surely the unteachable wildness of the good section seven so presently to bed and to sleep but not at once to sleep at first my brain like a dog in unfamiliar quarters must turn itself round for a time or so before it lies down The strange mystery of a world of which i have seen so little as yet a mountain slope a twilight road a traffic of ambiguous vehicles and dim shapes. The window lights of many homes fills me with curiosities. Figures and incidents come and go. The people we have passed. Our landlord. Quietly attentive and yet, I feel with the keenest curiosity peeping from his eyes. The unfamiliar forms of the house parts and furnishings. The unfamiliar courses of the meal. Outside this little bedroom is a world. A whole unimagined world. A thousand million things lie outside in the darkness beyond this lit inn of ours, unthought of possibilities, overlooked considerations, surprises, riddles, incommensurables, a whole monstrous intricate universe of consequences that I have to do my best to unravel. I attempt impossible recapitulations and mingle the weird quality of dream stuff with my thoughts. Athwart all this tumult of my memory goes this queer figure of my unanticipated companion, so obsessed by himself and his own egotistical love that the sudden change to another world seems only a change of scene for his gnawing, uninvigorating passion. It occurs to me that she must also have an equivalent in Utopia, and then that idea, and all ideas grow thin and vague, and are dissolved at last in the rising tide of sleep. End of chapter the second. Sections four through seven. Recording by Christopher Taylor.